So would you please welcome Pastor Russell Joyce to the platform as he shares. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Well, praise the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? The last time I preached, I preached at, at our church there in, in Katy <clears throat> uh, at the uh, uh, family life. I was preaching to a, a, uh, a, a camera with just a green light, and it's nice not to have to preach just to a green light, you know, this morning. Well, I, I'm sure that you're wondering, who is this? little gray-haired guy that's going to be speaking this morning to you. First of all, Pastor Jason and I, Pastor Frazier, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and share the word with your, your congregation. Thank you for your trust in me, and I, I do not take the breaking of the word lightly. I take it very, uh, the responsibility very seriously, and uh, I thank you for your trust. And it's an honor to be here. Uh, so you're, you might be wondering, well, who is this little guy, gray-haired fellow, preaching to you this morning? Well, I, we've been in the ministry, my wife and I, and there she is. Stand up, dear, my, the, my better half here, Joanne. God bless you. We've been in the ministry 44 years together. We've We've pastored three New England churches. Our first church is way up uh, almost near the Canadian border in northern New Hampshire. If any of you know where the White Mountains are in Mount Washington, anybody ever been to Mount Washington? No? Well, we pastored about two hours above Mount Washington. I thought New Hampshire ended at Mount Washington, but it went two hours beyond that, and that's where our little church was. And a uh, lot of snow up there. You know, you've got to like snow to live up there. And we lived in a little 10 by 55 trailer, humble, humble setting. But God did a good work there. And then the Lord called us to Maine, a little uh, church in Gray, Maine, uh, just near Portland. And uh, we enjoyed our stay there. We were there for about five years until the Lord called us to a church in Connecticut, New Milford, Connecticut. And uh, when I first went there, I said, well, uh, it's going to be another, maybe another short term here in Connecticut. And we ended up staying for 30 years. So I guess it was a good marriage, you know, between us and the congregation. We have a lot of good memories there in Connecticut, and God did some marvelous things. And, uh, and then... Uh, Ten, about 10 years ago, uh, my middle daughter married a Texan named Michael, and uh, some people might wonder, well, what brought you down to New England, from New England to Texas? Well, my, son and my daughter married a Texan, and for 10 years, they were after us, come on down to Texas, come on down. But finally, when we finally semi-retired from our church there in Connecticut, we decided that this was, God was in it. We came down. And uh, I came down not knowing, uh, you know, what the Lord had 
for me. I knew he wasn't going to just put me on a shelf somewhere. And, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll just do fill-ins, you know, for pastors here in the, in the Texas area. And uh, an, an opportunity opened up for uh, the church that I attend now, Family Life, Assembly of God, in Katy, a uh, wonderful church, great staff to work with, uh, Pastor Cortez, Brother Albert Cortez, and his wife, Rebecca, pastor of that church. We love them dearly. We have a wonderful staff to work with, and, it's, it, it's, and they were looking for a pastor to the seniors. Uh, pastor Rebecca had been filling in for a couple of years, two or three years, and they, they've been looking for a long time for a pastor to their prime timers. So, you know, there's some of the prime timers, we got to know them, and they started saying, hey, there's an opening, put your name in. And we prayed about it, and uh, it worked out. And uh, we went on staff there at Family Life Assembly of God in Katy. That's where we've been for almost four years now. And it's been a good experience. I, I, I'm having fun. I'm having fun in ministry. Uh, the seniors seem to love us. We love them, and we, we have a good time together. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, what the Lord has done in our family. We, the Lord has blessed us with three wonderful children. Uh, our oldest daughter, Christina, they, and her husband, Dan Stanley, they pastor a church in Methuen, Mass., the Assembly of God Church in Methuen. And they have uh, one boy named Samuel. And then uh, my middle daughter, Carolyn. And, of course, Carolyn Michael, uh, minister here in this church, very uh, dedicated to the Lord and to the church. And two boys, Austin and Asher. And then my son, Timothy, and his, his wife, Raquel, they live in Philadelphia. Uh, and they have three children. And my son is a social worker there in Philadelphia, and they uh, and his wife uh, Raquel. Again, they have three children: uh, Adoniah, Timothy, and Evangeline. And uh, we are we are just so thankful for what the Lord has done in our children's lives. Really, uh, God, they're all serving the Lord. They're all loving Jesus. They're raising their grandchildren, our grandchildren, to know the, to know the Lord. I mean. Uh, what else could you want? You know, it's, it's, just, it's wonderful to see our kids uh, serving Jesus in, in different capacities. And uh, we are just so grateful. We know it's been by God's grace, by God's grace alone, that uh, this has been happening, and we, we are so thankful. Now, this is Father's Day, and how many here know that fathers like to tell jokes? And... Uh, Maybe some of you wives have heard your husband's jokes so many times you could recite them by heart, and when, they, when you hear them again, you laugh anyway just to make your husband feel good, you know? Well, I, I don't think it would be appropriate to speak on Father's Day without telling a couple of funnies. You agree with me, huh? Well, I just happen to have a couple here. Someone said that there's three stages to a man's life. First stage, I believe in Santa Claus. Second stage, I don't believe in Santa Claus. The third stage, you are Santa Claus. 
Pastor Jason will appreciate this one. One very persistent little girl who happened to be a pastor's daughter went sent to bed one night with a stomachache. Missing her usual evening romp with daddy, she appeared at the top of the stairs and said to her, called to her mother, Mommy, send daddy up here. I want to talk to him. Honey, you go to bed now and, you know, just forget about that. Mommy, I want to talk to daddy. I haven't seen him tonight and I want to, I want to, I, I want to have some fun with him. Honey, go back to bed. You, you were sent to bed because you had a tummy ache. Now go back to bed. Mommy, I need to see Daddy. Honey, for the last time, go back to bed. I'm not telling you again. Uh, that's it. Little girl not giving up finally said, Mom, I'm a very sick lady, and I need to see my pastor immediately. One dark night, a father asked his little five-year-old daughter to go out on the back porch and get the broom for her mother. It was a very late night, very dark. Little girl stood there in the doorway for a long time, peering out into the darkness, afraid to go out. The father said, hmm, this is a good teaching moment. Went up to his little girl and said, honey, you don't have to fear the darkness out there. You know that Jesus is with us all the time. Jesus is with us in the house. He's with you when you're in school, and he's with you out there in the darkness. In fact, the Bible says that the darkness is as light to the Lord, you know, and you don't have to fear or be afraid. He's with you. Little girl stood there for a long time, peering out in the darkness, finally yelled out with a loud voice, Jesus, if you're out there, would you hand me that broom? <laughs> well, over the centuries of time, fathers have given their children advice. Here's a few examples of what might have been some father's advice to their children. To Christopher Columbus, uh, Father says, I don't care what you've discovered, Christopher. You could have written your mother and I at least once. Michelangelo's father. Mike, can't you paint on the walls like other children? Do you know how hard it is to get paint off the ceiling? Napoleon's father. All right, Napoleon. If you aren't hiding your report card in your jacket, then take your hand out of your jacket and prove it. Albert Einstein's father. But Albert, it's your senior picture. Couldn't you do something about that hair, you know, styling, mouse or moose or something, you know? Albert uh, Thomas Edison's father. Well, yes, I'm, uh, of course I'm proud of you, Thomas, that you invented the electric light bulb. Now, Thomas, turn out that light and go to bed. Superman's father to his 14-year-old son. 
Son, I know I said that you could get your driver's license at age 14 when pigs fly. Now stop flying around the barn and put that pig down and come in for supper. Walt Disney's father. Yes, son, I know you like to draw, but you'll never make a living drawing a picture of a mouse. Goldilocks, father. Uh, Goldie, I've got a bill here from a broken chair from the Bear family. Now, do you know anything about this, Goldie? Humpty Dumpty's father. Humpty, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, do not sit on that wall. But would you listen? No. <laughs> well, there's a lot of Humpty Dumpties that are broken in this world, isn't there? Huh? And even though the, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put poor Humpty back together again, we serve a king, King Jesus, who knows how to put broken Humpties together again. Amen, Pastor? Well, I've entitled this message, Building a Home at Last. Building a Home at Last. And uh, I want to tell you, first off, that this is not a microwave sermon. I have a, a notebook here. I've got um, probably about 120 of these notebooks in my office on a, on a Shelby unit. And uh, this is not a sermon that I pulled off the shelf. In fact, about three weeks ago, I, I had this sermon, I thought, all all finished up, you know, put the finishing touches on it from based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about being a wise master builder. And then uh, I put it aside and went later on, I went and looked at and read the sermon over and said, somehow it's just not ringing. And I just forgot about the whole thing and I started from scratch. And... Uh, Change my title even from a wise master builder to building a home that lasts. And I changed my text. The Lord changed my text. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Uh, and, and since I've uh, kind of been rehearsing this message again over this morning, I found myself rehearsing a song that I heard for the first time 52 years ago after I got saved from children in children's from Sunday school. And I started singing this song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built, remember that, Pastor? House. How many people ever heard that song? It's an oldie. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. I'm singing that this morning as I was getting ready. And the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and you know what happened to that. Uh, well, here's the text. Matthew chapter 7, 20, uh, 24 through 27, and then uh, a little, one verse from 1 Corinthians 3, 10. Uh, the Lord is telling this story, and he says, uh, this is on during the 
Mount Transfig uh, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, when he's uh, this was the, one of the last stories that he told. Therefore, everyone, note that word, everyone, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day you've given to us. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Father's Day. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll take this old preacher, you'll hide behind the cross and take these stammering lips, and I pray that you will just anoint this tongue and these lips, Lord, to share a message that will minister to the hearts and lives of your people. I pray that the Holy Spirit will just anoint this message and do something special in our hearts this morning through the sanctifying power of the Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a good feeling when a Preacher finally is able to nail down a message, and he says, I got it. I got it. It's an awful feeling when you work out a whole message and say, eh, it's just not right, you know. You ever had that feeling? And you go back and start on, on the drawing board again and say, ah, ah, this is it. This is it. I hope it ministers to you this morning. Not just to fathers, but I think there's something here for everybody. Our text relates a story about two different kinds of people, those who are foolish and those who are wise. In this particular story, the Lord uses two different men to illustrate persons who are either wise or persons who are foolish. So I want you to keep that in mind as we consider this story. Since it's Father's Day, I will be kind of making reference to those two men who set out to build a house. But remember that these two men are representative of everyone. The Lord says that one man was a wise man while the other man was a foolish man. Now, this morning, I'm not going to get too exegetical on this text, just pulling out truth, but I want to share some thoughts about this simple story that I hope will be of some help to you as you are in the process of building a home, meaning building a family or building a life structure of your own. Now, the first thing that we learn from this text is that both of these men set out to build a home. They both had a plan in mind as to what kind of home they wanted to build. Long before my wife and I ever sat down to work out the wedding plans, we spent a lot of hours discussing 
what kind of home we wanted to build for ourselves. And we talked about our family backgrounds, and there were some things that we wanted to carry in, some traditions, some things that we saw in our family that we wanted to carry into our family. And then we talked about some things that we would rather leave out. Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which was going to be my main text, which the Lord changed around, but he shares a word about a special building project that God uh, called him to build. And he says in that text, by grace, by the grace of God, uh, or the, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. The King James Version says, as a wise master builder. I like that. I like that term. My prayer is this morning that as all, for all men and women here, and for those that are watching by, uh, by, by internet, uh, that as you undertake the task of building your home, that the Lord will enable you to build to be a wise master builder. Now, before I get into the heart of this message, I want to share two principles that I learned many years ago from the late Christian psychologist and counselor, Dr. Richard Dobbins. You know, and it, as pastors, we have a lot of people that God sends our way that help us and disciple us and help us to grow. And Dr. Richard Dobbins was one of those men that helped me to grow in the Lord and shape me and mold me and just appreciated his wisdom and insight so much. I have shared these two very practical principles many times over the years with the people that God has called me to pastor, and I believe those principles go a long way to helping married couples have a successful, peaceful home. How many here like to have a peaceful home, by the way? <laughs> well, it's interesting to note that one of the qualities of someone who is functioning in a wisdom from above, as uh, James chapter 3 uh, talks about is a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who sows in peace and raises up a harvest of righteousness, the Word of God says. Now, for those single persons here or those that are watching by the Internet and are looking forward to someday finding the right life partner, you need to pay close attention uh, here to both of these principles because they will be a determining factor whether your marriage will be a happy and peaceful one or one that is filled with stress, arguments, and possibly even anger. These two principles are what Dr. Richard Dobbins called bending and blending, bending and blending. The principle of bending refers to a person's willingness to be flexible. And single person, if you are considering a life partner, if the, the one you are considering to be your life partner, if you find them to be rigid and extremely set in their ways, then that character trait should cause all kinds of blinking yellow caution lights 
in front of your mind. Uh, bending e equals flexibility. To be flexible means to be malleable, to be pliable, to be soft, to be yielding, to be adjustable. The willingness to be stretched. And marriage will always stretch you. Having children will stretch you. <laughs> I've often said that if you want to grow in grace, have some kids. They'll grow grace in you. They'll stretch you. The second principle of blending refers to a person's willingness to negotiate. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Maybe a wife for uh, several years has been looking forward to buying some much-needed new furniture. Uh, when we first got married, we, had, uh, we didn't go out and buy new furniture. We, we had uh, furniture from Salvation Army furniture. You know what I mean? Oh, we got this uh, bed that we've had for 20 years. You can have it, you know, bureau for 30 years. Yeah, sure, we'll take it, you know. Well, uh, if a wife has possibly been looking forward to much-needed furniture for years and dreaming about the day when she can finally buy a, 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 that, that furniture for her house, and yet the husband has been dreaming about the day when I can finally go out and buy that new uh, bass tracker fishing boat with a 60-horsepower Mercury engine. And all the fishermen said, yeah, man. Yeah, man? Any fishermen here? <laughs> I'd like to have one of those boats myself. <laughs> I've been looking forward to those for a long time. Uh, the Lord hasn't seen fit to get me one yet. Maybe someday he will. I like the best fish. Uh, the wise husband recognizes his wife's desire as more needful than his desire for new bass tracker boat. So he's willing to compromise. That's called blending. Blending. And that's what I call a smart husband. <laughs> because uh, everyone knows that happy wife equals a happy what? Happy life, right? I'm looking for the response here, okay? Happy wife, happy wife means a happy life. You got it, guys. You got it. Uh, there's a lot to be said for the willingness to compromise. So couples, remember uh, the importance of bending and blending. Those two characteristics will go a long way in helping you to have a happy and successful marriage. So I'd like you to store those two principles away in the file cabinet of your mind and write on the file cabinet on that file, peaceful home, okay? Peaceful home. Now, getting back to the, uh, our text subject about building a home, if I were to, going to build a physical home, I would want the building contractor to, be, to have the reputation as being a wise master builder, as the Apostle Paul says of himself in 1 Corinthians 3.10. Because those words denote a builder who knows what they are doing. 
They have the experience and they have the knowledge to get the job done and to do it well. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, by, God, by God's grace or by the grace of God, has, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder. What does that word grace mean to you? What kind of picture does that conjure up in your mind when I say the word grace to you? When you hear that word or read it, well, there's various meanings for the grace of God that I've heard over the years and have used. For example, the word grace stems from the Greek word charis, or gift, or gracious bestowment. The Greek word charisma, the English word charisma or charismatic stems from this Greek word charis. All the gifts of the Spirit listed in Corinthians 12 flow out of that meaning, the meaning of that word charis, grace, gracious bestowment. Multi-piped, the word of God uses. Multi-piped, manifold, wisdom of manifold grace of God. Manifold, all the men here know what a manifold is. Some of the women do too. It's a manifold, you know, you have a car or the engine and it has a manifold. Multi-piped, multi-piped. All the gifts of the Spirit flow out of this grace. The grace of God also means his undeserved merit, his undeserved, unearned favor with God. The foundation for our entire Christian life and assurance stems from the meaning of this word grace. For the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any mention boast. It's a foundational, foundational. Everything we have received from the hand of God, we have received by his grace and his grace alone. I cannot boast about any personal achievements in my ministry, nor can I boast about the marvelous, wonderful work God has accomplished in my own family. Everything good that has come my way by the hand of God has been through the powerful, miraculous supernatural work of God's grace in my life. And by the way, if I, you know, there's different reactions to the Holy Spirit. Some people jump and shout and run around. I get a little choked up and a little teary-eyed sometimes when I feel God's presence. That's who I am. So I get a little choked up, a little teary-eyed. As you know, I'm just, I'm just feeling something here. Joanne and I, I'm so thankful for God, how God has worked and still working in the hearts and lives of our children. And it's truly been the handiwork of God, and we are so blessed and so grateful for what he has done. But again, there's no boasting for, from Joanne or me, for we know that it's, it's been by God's marvelous grace. If, you, if this ministry, if this word ministers to you this morning, it is by the grace of God. There's another meaning for this word grace, which I picked up along the way, and I've shared many times with others in the course of ministry, and it is this. The grace of God is the desire and power to do the will of God. 
The grace of God is a desire and power to do the will of God. I, I, I like that definition because every time you see the word grace in the Scriptures, you can apply that definition, and it fits every time. For example, if you apply that definition to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.10, it can be translated in this fashion, through the desire and power God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder. Having said all that, when we set out, set out to build a home, a family that will last, and stand up to the difficulties and challenges of life, by the grace of God, he will give us the desire and power to be a wise master builder while we're building it. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And based upon those words, of that scripture in 2 Peter 1.3, coupled with the miraculous, life-changing power of God's grace, God has given us everything we need, all the necessary tools and equipment to build a home, to build a family, to build a life that will last. There's no excuse for sloppy building. There's no excuse for building a house on sand. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness and to be a wise master builder, to build our house upon and our family upon the rock that will last. Amen? In that story of the two men who set out to build a home, they both had the opportunity to hear the words of the Lord. Perhaps they attended the same church, heard the same preaching of the word, they sang the same songs and even attended the same Sunday school class, but there was one, one major and critical difference which made all the difference in the final outcome. One man listened to the words of the Lord and then went out and applied the words of the Lord to his own life, and the other did not. Now, the Lord tells us in Matthew 7, that both men completed the task. They both finished building a home. I'm going to use my imagination a little bit here that, and say that uh, both homes could have looked the same. From a distance, it might be hard to tell one from the other. They both might have ha looked beautiful with a combination of wood and stone siding with a perfectly manicured lawn. However, there was one important element that set them apart, and that was the foundation upon which they were built. One man whom the Lord called wise built his house on the firm foundation of solid rock, while the other man the Lord called foolish had built his house on the foundation of sand. Both of these men had the desire to build. Both of them had a plan to build, and both of them ended up with a finished product. However, only one of the homes 
would have received heaven's CO. If you've ever built a home, you know what that is. Certificate of Occupancy. That's when someone from the state comes and inspects the home and puts a seal of approval on it and said, this home is safe for occupancy. Well, there was only one home here that would have had heaven's CO seal upon it. The other one would have uh, been out of luck. So both of these homes might have survived for the long term, except for one thing, unexpected storms. Unexpected storms. Contrary to what has become popular, a popular message in some Christian circles today, believers as well as unbelievers must deal with unexpected storms of life. No one gets through this life without experiencing challenges, trials, tribulation, and sometimes tragedy. Unexpected health issues, job loss, financial reversals, unfaithfulness, broken relationships, loss of a loved one can happen to both those who are walking and living in the Christian faith and those who are not. It's a popular theme today among some Christian circles that if you just have enough faith, all things will go well with you all the time. Right, Pastor? However, if you've studied the life and ministry of the apostles and the early believers, believers, the Scriptures do not bear that out. If a person's motive for giving their heart and life to Christ is entirely based on life enhancement, then sooner or later, they're going to have a wake-up call. They are going to face the realities of life and have some possible real disappointments. I know of a true story of a minister in Maine who uh, got sold up, sold out on the name it and claim it, and Just uh, have enough faith and all will go well with you. Positive confession. And uh, this is a true story. And uh, his father-in-law came down with uh, a serious bout with cancer. Father-in-law was older. But the pastor, every Sunday morning, would pray for his father-in-law and say, you know, we have prayed and we are believing and we know and we know and we know that God is going to heal my father-in-law because we've prayed and we're believing God and it's happened. We're confessing it. I mean, he was sold out on it. Sold out. And his father-in-law died of cancer. And it just about knocked this pastor out of the ministry because he had, he had staked his claim on this idea that you just, you know, name it and claim it. Have enough faith. All will go well with you. Just claim it. Positive confession. And uh, it's, uh, I'm sorry, folks, but it's, it's a doctrine of sand. It doesn't, doesn't hold up. 
doesn't hold up with Scripture and doesn't hold up with the reality of life. But fortunately uh, for us, for the believers, the Bible has some positive things to say about trials and tribulations of life. Now, no one in their right mind goes out looking and hoping for trials and tribulations. If they do, I'd have to wonder if their elevator went all the way to the top. You know what I mean, Pastor? <laughs> or if they were, you know, rowing with both oars in the water, you know? But we do have some po uh, positive promises of God from God concerning trials and tribulations of life that give us some hope that there are some creative and constructive benefits for the believer when they come our way. In other words, trials and tribulations do not shake up or weaken our foundation, the foundation of our faith. In fact, they work out in such a way that they actually strengthen and shore up the foundation of our faith. One might say that, they are, that the trials and tribulations come to a believer's life are like an iron rebar placed within the concrete of our foundation designed by God to make us even stronger. Therefore, and in Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by this faith into this grace. There's a powerful word again, grace. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And I'm going to add the word produces here in between, okay? Because that's exactly what it's saying. Suffering produces perseverance, and per perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And the hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Now, those are nice words that we read and we sometimes just kind of brush over, but how do they really play out in our Christian life experience? Well, perhaps a personal example is in order to help clarify this Romans 5. My wife, Joanne, had the unfortunate experience of being raised in a very dysfunctional home. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you can relate to be, being raised in a home that unfortunately was built on sand. She personally knows what it's like to have a very angry father who would have periodic outbursts of anger and rage. She knows what it's like to experience physical as well as verbal abuse in her growing up years. But she also had a godly mother who knew the importance of bringing their kids, her family, which is a family of five, to church, six, family of six, to church. And my wife would, if she had the time, she would stand up and testify to you that throughout those painful and hurtful years, 
that she experienced at home, she never had any doubt of God's love and care for her. God's love always surrounded her, insulated her, and protected her from any long-term negative effects of those abusive years. Because of God's love being continually poured out into her heart by the Holy Spirit, she was able to remain steadfast in her faith and her walk with the Lord. My wife has also had the unfortunate experience of knowing what it's like to have chronic, ongoing physical pain. About 10 years ago, she was diagnosed with a disease called trigeminal neuralgia, which is, we didn't even know what that was until she got it, and we found out quite a bit about it. Trigeminal neuralgia is a disorder of the facial nerves which resulting in terrible excruciating pain of the facial area. And when that first happened to Joanne, she'd be brushing her teeth and break into absolute tears because of the pain. I heard one doctor refer to it as the suicide disease because the pain is so severe, some people decide just to check out. Joanne went through a procedure called cyber knife surgery, which is a very precise radioactive laser treatment which kills the nerves and the area affected. And that machine would take up most of this platform, huge. And they strap her down with this, this uh, custom-made uh, head, uh, I don't know what you call basket that would strap to the table and the walls where everyone stood to operate the machine were two feet thick because of the radioactivity. And uh, she went through that, and, for, and it attacks the nerves. It's designed, it's all mapped out through computers exactly where those nerves are that's giving her trouble, and the radioactivity zaps those nerves, and it kills those nerves. And for a while, it, it worked marvelous to take away the pain for a short time, but then it also left the left side of her face completely numb, it had no feeling on the left side of her face uh, at all, and that in turn has triggered ongoing severe migraines, headaches. Joanne has often said to me, she wishes that she could at least wake up one day and say, wow, I really feel good today doesn't know what that's like. She's always having some degree of pain. Sometimes it's a two or three. Sometimes it's an eight or nine. If it's an eight or nine, then she's in bed with medication. And yet through it all, Joanne has remained, and I can testify about this personally because I live with her. You know, we, we've been married 49 years. Next year, 50 years. 50 next year, 50 We've never talked about divorce. Murder a few times. Not divorce. <laughs> but you see, through it all, Joanne has remained positive, hopeful, full of faith. Sometimes I, I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I say to her, honey, I, I don't know how you remain so positive and upbeat. Uh, and her, 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 
she, her, her answer to me is always the same, only by the grace of God. Hallelujah. In other words, only by the unmerited favor, only by the undeserved favor of God, and only by the power and desire to continue to do the will of God. Joanne would never say, I'm checking out out of the will of God. I'm, I've, I've, I'm all done. Never would say that. I know that she would uh, tell you even this morning that she has never doubted, not for a moment, God's love for her nor his constant abiding presence in her life and the hope that she has in God's care for her has never disappointed her. Why? Because God, hallelujah, continues to pour out his love into her heart by the Holy Spirit which he has given to her. You see, folks, all the promises of God found in his divine engineering handbook for a successful life really do work. They really work. We can claim with faith and assurance, Romans 8.28, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And as Dr. Richard Dobbins often has repeated in the past, when you go through severe trials and tragedy, you'll never come out the same way you went in. Severe trials and tragedy will always change you. Tragedy will either make you a better person or it will make you a bitter person. And it all depends on that little letter I. I. How, will, how will I respond to the trials and tragedies of life that come my way? How will you respond? Will you become angry and bitter at God? Or will you allow the power of God's grace to transform you into a better person? The little English pronoun I makes all the difference. Hallelujah. Dear friends, if you desire to build a home that will last or maybe you're in the process of building a home now that you want to last. And fathers and mothers, may I encourage you this morning to go in the faith and courage of the Lord and build your house as a wise master builder. Not only listen to the word, but go out and apply the word to your own life. Become a wise master builder on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
And when the storms come and the waters rise and the floods flow and the winds blow, you'll never have to worry or be afraid. Your home, your family, your life structure will remain solid and firm, built upon the solid rock of Jesus. And God's grace will enable you to say in the midst of all the storms and the trials and tribulations of life, if God is for me, God is for me, tell me who can be against me? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or COVID-19 or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Knowing all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me, for I am convinced, and God wants us to be convinced. He wants us to be persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor, nor the things present, nor the future, nor powers, nor civil unrest, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Challenges us, molds us by the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctifies us through the washing of the word and the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Father, we'll stand, not only hear the word, but stand upon the word and apply it to our own life by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the miracle workings of God. We will build our home and our family and our life structure as a wise bastard builder. And when the storms come and the floods rise, the winds blow and beat upon the home, the house, our life. We'll stand with Jesus Christ as our solid rock. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.